We've been in the book of Romans for almost a year. We're almost done. By my count, after this week, I think we have five more sermons in the book of Romans. Now, I just want to tell you up front, uh, we're in Romans 15 and 16 are the last two chapters. Those five sermons, we're probably going to, well, we will, be jumping around a little bit. There are many reasons for that. One of the reasons is that there's a pretty tricky interpretive uh, issue in Romans chapter 16 having to do with women serving as deacons, something that doesn't happen here at Calvary Church. Now, when I first saw that passage, I thought, this would be a good passage for like a Sunday night. We can get together in sort of a smaller group and kind of teach through. There's some complexities here. We could just spend time, teach through it, take any questions that come up. However, a couple of months ago, <clears throat> I pointed out to the elders, this passage is coming. Here's my plan. I plan to do it maybe on a Sunday evening or a special teaching time. And uh, we decided to spend some time praying and considering that. And after much prayer and consideration, the elders' strong encouragement was, if the Spirit's led us to the book of Romans, you need to preach through all of the book of Romans on Sunday morning. And so... Uh, at their request, we are going to put the sermon back on Sunday morning. Now, the problem was is that I already had the schedule all shifted. So when I looked for what was the right Sunday morning to do this tricky interpretive passage, uh, this was the one that God chose. And so today, we are going to look at that passage, and the encouragement from the elders was we don't skip passages of the Bible. We simply preach through all of God's Word as it appears, and we ask that the Spirit will help us to make sense of it, and we trust uh, that God always leads us in the right direction through His Spirit. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, that's perfectly fine. There should be one in front of you in the rack it looks like this. If you take one of those Bibles and turn to page 922, you'll be in Romans 16. And the reason why I ask you to do that is that as we work through this tricky interpretive issue, I'd like you to be able to see right for yourselves uh, the text that we're using that God wrote for us so that we might be able to study it together. Now, in addition to kind of looking at this tricky interpretive issue, the elders were very clear that because the Lord gave us this passage, we shouldn't just look at it to try to answer the tricky interpretive issue. There also is a word of encouragement from this passage, a sermon to be preached, especially for encouraging the women of this church. And so that was the very thing that I myself was eager to do. And so when they said they wanted this done on a Sunday morning, uh, that resonated with my spirit. Let's read Romans 16 together and then try to understand what the Lord is saying to us. We'll be reading verses one and two. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Cancrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. 
Now, this introduction is a noteworthy introduction because it follows the same form that we often find in the ancient world of what we would call a letter of commendation or what we know as a letter of recommendation. We still use these today. Sometimes you think of them as references when you fill out a job application. But especially in the ancient world, anytime someone was traveling to one place to another, or anytime someone was being introduced, it was necessary to have letters of commendation. How do we know this is a good person? How do we know that this person is, uh, that we should trust this person? This form in which Paul is introducing this woman to us follows that form pretty closely. He is commending or writing a letter of recommendation for a woman named Phoebe. Now, what do we know about Phoebe? Well, first, we're pretty sure she's a Gentile. Phoebe's not a, not a Hebrew name. It's a Greek name. It comes out of Greek mythology. <clears throat> we also are quite confident she's a Christian. He introduces her as our sister, Phoebe, identifying her as being part of the family of God. <clears throat> she's from the church in Cancrea. That's a church plant of the church in Corinth. And we're told that Phoebe has been the benefactor of many people. That too is a unique word which tells us that most likely Phoebe was somewhat wealthy and of reasonably high social standing because a benefactor was someone who came alongside of the poor and the oppressed and the foreigner and would often take them into her home, would supply their needs, would provide sort of legal assistance or counsel for them in front of the assembly because they didn't have any legal standing. A benefactor is someone who really served the poor and the oppressed, the foreigner and the refugee. And Paul says, that's what Phoebe did for me and she's done that for others as well. <clears throat> we also are pretty confident that Phoebe is carrying this letter with her to Rome. Remember, all the letters in the New Testament are actually letters written from someone to, to someone, and they usually need a male person to deliver them, M-A-I-L. That's Phoebe's job. We think she's carrying for the very first time the letter of Romans as a letter, a scroll, being delivered to the church in Rome. So she's got a very prestigious and important position, which is why we think Paul is writing this letter of commendation, this note in the book of Romans, so that as they read through this letter, they realize why it is she was chosen uh, to be selected to deliver this letter from Paul at Corinth and Cancrea to the church at Rome. Now that's the relatively non-controversial aspects of who Phoebe is. The one that raises some questions is when she is identified as a deacon of the church in Cancrea. Now you'll notice if you're using the NIV, which is one of these Bibles, or perhaps you have your own version of the NIV, that there are two superscripts next to the word deacon. There's an H and an I. If you glance down at the footnotes for the H, it will say, or servant. 
And that's because the word that's there can be translated as deacon. It can also be translated as servant. If you have an English Standard Version, they will translate it as servant. If you have a New American Standard Bible, they will translate it as servant. If you have the 1984 translation of the NIV, they will translate it as servant. If, however, you have the New Revised Standard Version, they translate it as deacon. If you have the New Living Translation, they translate it as deacon. If you have the 2011 NIV, they translate this word as deacon. Now clearly the choice is obvious in the sense of on one hand, the word servant just means generally serving the church. Deacon, on the other hand, is a specific office within the church. We have deacons here at Calvary Church. A specific office within the church. And the question is, how do we translate this verse? Is Paul writing and saying she is a servant generally, or is he writing and saying she holds the office of deacon in the church of Cancrea? Now this morning, that's the tricky interpretive question. You can see that that has some importance in trying to think through how do we think about church. So this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to try to show you how do you answer a question like that when you have good translations, both translating a word differently. At the end of the day, we have to decide what is the Lord saying here? Is he saying she's just a servant generally? Or is he identifying her as a deacon in particular? So how do you do that? Well, we pray, and we ask the Holy Spirit to make it clear. But one of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit uses to make things clear is a study of the word that God's given to us, a study of the passage. So what I'd like to do together this morning is walk through how do you make this decision? And I'll tell you up front, I think that the NIV has translated the word correctly. I think that Phoebe was a deacon in the church of Cancrea. How do you think through this? How did I come to that position? Let's do that together, and I just want to walk you through it step by step. The first thing that we need to do if we're going to do this is we need to analyze the passage. We have a passage in front of us. It's the very word of God. It deserves careful study of the passage. What I've done for you, have it open, but I also have it up here on the screen. And what you have in front of you on the screen is I commend you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Cancrea, that's the phrase from the NIV. You have it here in Greek, which if you can't read that, that's perfectly fine. And you have it here in a transliteration of the Greek, meaning these are Greek letters, and so we just took Greek letters and wrote them with their English equivalent. For those of you who are very careful note takers, this should be a K. The word is diakonon. That's this word, diakonon. And that's the word that we're talking about here. 
the word that can either be translated as servant or as deacon. You can hear where we got the term deacon from. It's the word diakonon. So, step one, let's analyze the passage together. In the step of analyzing the passage, one of the first things we want to do is think about this word, diakonos. How is it used in the New Testament? The word is used 29 times in the New Testament. Some of the times it's used, it means servant generally. Some of the times it's used, it is specifically referring to the office of deacon. Now, the interesting thing to note is if you go through and look at all those 29 times, every time it means servant generally, it's attached to something universal like Jesus. You can be a servant of Jesus. Or God the Father. You can be a servant of God the Father. Or, interestingly enough, in Colossians 1.25, it's attached to the word church when the church is speaking of the universal church of all Christians everywhere. Paul says, I became a servant, diakonos, exact same word, of the church. Which church? Well, the church, capital C meaning the universal church, all Christians everywhere. Paul is saying, I am a servant of the church universal according to the stewardship from God. Now, the interesting thing in our passage is that Phoebe is being identified as being a diakonos of the church in Cancrea, a local church. For this reason, it seems more likely that she is being identified not generally as a servant of the church or Paul would have written it the way he did in Colossians 1.25. If the point was Phoebe is a servant generally of the church, that's how Paul writes it. Here he's saying she is a servant of the local church of Cancrea, so I think he means she's a deacon of the local church of Cancrea. Also, given the fact that she's leaving her local church of Cancrea and traveling to another local church in Rome, if the point was she is a servant of the church in general, that's what he would have said. I think he's saying she's a deacon in her local church, and so when she comes to your church, receive her. Okay? Continuing to analyze the passage. The second thing to notice is that the word diakonos is introduced with a verb. You don't see it in English because the NIV didn't translate it. But usan, this is a verb. And it's used to introduce the word. Literally, we could translate it. And the reason they don't is because it's awkward. Phoebe, being a deacon of the church in Cancrea. Now compare this with how Paul introduces himself at the beginning of Romans. So there's two people Paul's introducing in Romans, besides Jesus, himself and Phoebe. When we look at Romans 1.1, which I have on the screen, there it says Paul, a servant, but notice it's a different word. This is the Greek word doulos, which can never mean deacon. 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. When Paul wants to identify himself at the beginning of Romans as being a servant generally, he doesn't use a verb. He just says Paul, and then in apposition, a servant of Christ Jesus, and uses a different word. When he's ready to give them his title, apostle, that's when he uses the verb, called to be an apostle. In Romans 16, 1, the fact that a verb is used to introduce this word diakonos makes us think that what is being introduced is her title, deacon, the church in Cancrea. Third, and we're still analyzing, we're still in step one, but 1.3, we're studying uh, or analyzing the passage. Three, I want you to notice the position of the phrase. Now here you're going to have to look back into your text. Because it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Cancrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. In a letter of recommendation, you have to do a couple of things. We do this today when we fill out references. You gotta introduce the person, and then you gotta say what they've done that's worthy of them being hired or being commended or being accepted or whatever it may be. Notice in verse one, Phoebe's being introduced as a person, but we don't get what she's done until verse two. She's been the benefactor of many people. But notice Paul doesn't say, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister. Receive her, give her help, welcome her, because she's been the benefactor of many and is a good servant of the church generally. He's put deacon or diakonos of the church in Cancrea, not with what she's done, but up right next to her name where you would expect a title to show up. Phoebe, our sister, a deacon of the church in Cancrea, receive help, honor, because she's been a benefactor. So again, for this reason, I think the NIV has translated this correctly. Fourth, if you compare how Phoebe is discussed with the rest of Romans 16, you'll notice that what he says about her in calling her a servant or a deacon is different than what he does with everybody else. We don't have time to read through all of those, but just look in verses three through five. This is the longest list of people that Paul talks about in a letter. And here he says, for example, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Now Priscilla and Aquila are very commendable, honorable people in God's kingdom. You will see that in the rest of the list. But they're not introduced the way that Phoebe is introduced, being a diakonos of the church in Cancrea. Priscilla and Aquila have a church meeting in their house. They are Paul's co-laborers, all great things. But they're simply not introduced the way that Phoebe is. 
So for those four reasons, when we're analyzing the passage, I think the NIV has translated this correctly, that the right translation is that she's a deacon. Now, that's step one, we've analyzed the passage. Step two, it's important to understand what are the arguments against the translation of deacon. I mean, if it was completely obvious, then everyone would translate it this way. Why don't certain translations translate it this way? Or what are the arguments against this? I gave you the arguments for it. Well, it turns out uh, there's really two arguments against it. One of them is actually negated by step one, which says there's no reasons for translating it as deacon, which is not really an argument. The second one is a genuine argument. And the argument is, is that we don't have deacons yet at the time Romans is written. In other words, the reason why you wouldn't want to translate this as deacon is nobody who's reading Romans for the first time would know what you were talking about. The office of deacon hadn't been created yet. Doug Moo, who's a commentator on Romans, gives you an example of what this position sounds like uh, when he says this. But the qualification of diakonos by of the church, meaning that after Paul writes diakonos, he then says of the church, suggests rather that Phoebe held at Cancrea the office of deacon as Paul describes it in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 12. Meaning, he analyzed the passage the same way we did and thought it was unusual that it was attached of the church in Cancrea and thinks this, this implies she's got some sort of office. But then he says, we put office in quotation marks because it's very likely that regular offices in local Christian churches were still in the process of being established as people who regularly ministered in a certain way were gradually recognized officially by the congregation and given a regular title. He's essentially saying, you don't have deacons yet. So she's doing something in the church, but we don't want to call her a deacon because we don't think the office of deacon has been created yet. That turns out, if you uh, uh, analyze this, that's the strongest argument against translating this as deacon. Now, it is a strong argument. The reason why I don't end up buying that argument is because, number one, all the things we did in step one. But number two, the fact is I think that in Acts 6, you're starting to get the office of deacon beginning to form. You don't have deacons yet in Acts 6, but it's beginning to form. I also think in Philippians 1, which is only a few years after Romans, if we've done our reconstruction correctly, you do have the office of deacon, which is relatively close in time to Romans. Besides all of that, I think that the ultimate author of this is the Holy Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit does have in mind the office of deacon. And that if he wanted to make it not confusing, he would have used the word doulos simply to mean servant in general. Because he's used this word diakonos, it makes me think that even if the original audience didn't understand exactly what this meant, although I think they did, that today when we read this, that's what we would think of. So, but that is the argument against it. Uh, it is an argument. I gave you the reason why I don't buy that argument, but it is an argument. And so step two is to understand, well, what do people say against this translation? Step three in our process of how do you make this decision? Well, is to realize that other people have the Spirit. Other people are gifted interpreters in understanding God's Word. So we have been given by the church at large many great commentaries on the book of Romans. 
What do other modern commentators say on this? Um, I did the work for us on this. I picked 21 commentaries. It just, those happen to be the commentaries that I have. And so I just took the commentaries that I had or had access to, and I went through and all of them in Romans 16, 1 and 2. I just looked them up and thought, well, I'm going to see what they say. Of the 21 commentators, 17 argued that you should translate it deacon. Two argued you should translate it servant. Uh, and then two did the cowardly thing. They just didn't take a position. <laughs> Which is a church, we not allowed to do that. We can't stand up and preach and say, we'll do whatever you want with this. We have to try to figure out what is the Lord saying through this. Um, but, th- you know, this is not a majority rule kind of thing, so you don't just count up commentators and they get to vote. But it is useful to see, okay, are we reading this passage the way other people are reading this passage? And so uh, that's step three. Step four, well, wait a second. What if everybody today, the NIV, the NLT, the NRSV, me, modern commentators, are simply reading this passage this way because we live in a more egalitarian uh, environment. We live in a world in which people are talking a lot more about women's rights than were talked about when the New Testament was being written. What if we're all thinking the same thing because we all live at the same period of time and that in reality what we're doing is reading the spirit of the age into this passage? Well, one of the things you do to ensure that you're not doing that is you look throughout church history. What if other people who lived at different times who were also Christians who are concerned with understanding God's word, what do they say? How do they read this passage? Again, I did some of that work for us. The very first copy we have of a commentary on the book of Romans was written by a Christian named Origen who lives in Egypt in Alexandria in 246 AD. So people have been writing commentaries on Romans since when this letter was first written. We don't have copies of all of those, but the earliest Romans commentary that we do have a copy of is written by an Egyptian Christian. When you turn to passage, which is on Romans 16, this is what he says. This text teaches with the authority of the apostle that even women are instituted deacons in the church. This was the function which was exercised in the church of Cancrea by Phoebe, who was the object of high praise and recommendation by Paul. And thus this text teaches at the same time two things. That there are, as we have already said, women deacons in the church. And that women who have been given that assistance to so many people and who by their good works deserve to be praised by the apostle ought to be accepted into the diaconate. Another example, John Chrysostom. John Chrysostom is an outstanding Christian living in Turkey in the 300s. We have lots of his writings uh, that have been saved for us, including a commentary on the book of Romans, sermons that he preached through. When you get to Romans 16, this is what Chrysostom says. See how many ways he takes to give her dignity. For he has both mentioned her before all the rest. This is speaking about Phoebe being mentioned before everybody else in Romans 16. And called her sister. It is no slight thing to be called the sister of Paul. Moreover, he has added her rank by mentioning her being deaconess. One more example, Theodoret of Cyrus. He's a Christian writing in Syria in the 400s. Also writing a commentary on Romans. This is what Theodoret says. And so large was the congregation of the church of Cancrea that it even had a woman deacon, one both famous and celebrated. Now, all three of these men, 
are native Greek speakers. They're not trying to study Greek the way that we do it today. This is their native language. And they live in Egypt, Turkey, and Syria. Very patriarchal societies. Not societies given to sort of egalitarian worldviews the way we might find in the West today. All three of these men, plus a lot more that I didn't give you all this morning, when they read Romans 16, having no, no knowledge about any discussions about gender kinds of things that might be coming up in America in the years in we, which we live, simply read the Greek text and think, Phoebe's a deacon. Like, this is what she's doing. Now, in addition to this, this is John Calvin's view. When he reads this text, again, apart from the conversations we're having today, Calvin thinks she's a deacon. So does Benjamin Warfield, so does Charles Hodge, so does Adolf Schlatter, so does Frederick Godet, so does Donald Barnhouse. These are all people in the Reformed tradition in the 16, 17, and 1800s. Again, showing that it's not just one group of people in one place in time, in one point in history, who read Romans 16 this way. Now, none of those people that I mentioned, nor do I, think that women are supposed to be elders nor are they talking about women being preaching pastors. They're simply reading Romans 16, and when they read Romans 16, they think Phoebe is being identified simply from the Greek text as being a deacon of the church in Cancria. So for those four reasons, uh, as we've done those four steps, this is why I think the NIV has translated this correctly. Now this raises the obvious question, if Phoebe, who is a female, is a deacon in a local church, being commended by the word of God for that, why don't all churches today have female deacons? First off, let me say, I was surprised when I went in to study this, how many churches, conservative, Bible-believing, evangelical churches, both currently and throughout history do have and had have women deacons. But I will say the question as to why don't all churches have women deacons, that's the subject of a different sermon at a different time. So also is the question, why doesn't Calvary Church have female deacons, and should we? That too is the question for another time, but... Let me say this. The reason why the elders spent so much time praying and discussing what do we do with Romans 16 is I told them, if I stand up and say, I think the NIV is right, that is going to raise the question, should Calvary Church have female deacons? The elders said, well, that's why we're going to pray about this and talk about this, and our feeling is, if this is from the Spirit, then this should be the beginning of a conversation. A conversation that we as elders ought to have and a conversation we ought to have with you as a congregation. This is not the end of the conversation, nor the final word in the conversation. There's some other passages and some other things to think about. But I simply want to tell you that we've taken this as being an opportunity from the Lord to have a conversation. Is there something we should do to be faithful to what we think God is saying here? And we invite you to be part of that conversation. How's that going to work? I don't know yet. I do imagine we probably will take some Sunday evenings to be able to explore perhaps some of the other issues or other passages that might be related to this. 
But again, what we're here to do this morning, what I'm here to do this morning, is preach Romans 16. And so we are wanting to think about that and pray about that. But however that conversation turns out, it's important to realize that God gave us Romans 16 because there is something he wants to say to us today, particularly for those who are women here who are serving the Lord in his kingdom that I think is meant to be a word of encouragement. So having studied the tricky interpretive issue, I now want to move on to talk about what is the Lord telling us to do today in our lives. And for this, I want you to notice from this passage three things that God is asking the church at Rome to do for Phoebe. And those are the same three things he's asking us to do today for women who are among us who are our sisters in Christ. Number one, verse two, I ask you to receive her. Receive her, that's the word for welcome. It's the word for accept. It's the word for embrace. It's the idea of hospitality. It's the idea of welcoming her into the family. The idea is, is that Phoebe is, not, or Phoebe is not simply traveling from the local church of Concrea to Rome, handing off the letter and going home. He's saying, receive her, welcome her, accept her. She is part of your family. She is part of the kingdom of God. Treat her as you would a sister because she is your sister. And I say this especially to the females who are here this morning. In this world today, in the country in which we live, you're going to hear a lot, and you do hear a lot about equal rights. That's great. But please know and understand that the vision that God has goes far beyond that. It's not simply that he wants you to have rights. He demands that you be accepted and loved and valued and be seen as a central part of what he's doing. I'm all well and good for what society wants to do as they try to think about how do we make sure women are paid the same. That's a great and noble thing. But please understand that God is about far more than that. He's about the love and the acceptance and the reception that you experience in his kingdom. And unfortunately, at times the church has not always received women with open arms in a welcoming and hospitable way. But please, don't impute the sins of the church onto your heavenly father. That's not his view. His view is that you are his daughter and that you are a part of his family and that you are, and it is our job to receive you and welcome you. You are our sisters in Christ, and shame on us for not recognizing that. This is one of the things I appreciated about the elders. Well, what would this say to the women of the church if we simply skipped Romans 16? Here is this passage commending this amazing woman. Will we just simply skip over it? That's the attitude that we're supposed to have. Number two, Give her any help she may need from you. Number one, receive her. Number two, help her accomplish the mission she's been given by God to do. One of the problems and misinterpretations of Genesis 2, when Eve is called Adam's helpmate, a misinterpretation is that you can think that God gives assignments to men 
and that women are here to help with those assignments. Please hear what God is saying in his word. Phoebe is the one with the assignment, and the men and women in the church in Rome are being asked to help her carry out her assignment. And that women who are here, if you are a Christian, the Lord has assignments that he's given to you. I think it's awesome if you help your husband and other men around you with their assignments. But please recognize that no one can do any assignment given to them by God on their own. You need help from those around you. And part of that help is supposed to come from the men in your life. That God's recognition is, is you're not a second-class worker in his kingdom. He doles out assignments as he sees fit. Your assignment, we are supposed to help you accomplish that assignment. And if you stand before Jesus and you say, I helped everybody else with their assignments, all the men in my life, I helped them, well done, good and faithful servant. But you're also going to be asked, how'd you do with your assignments? And men... We're going to be asked, did you help them? How did you serve them? How did you encourage them? How did you enable them to fulfill the assignment they were given by God? Number three, receive, help, and then it's implicit in the text, although it's explicit in the word commend. It's the idea of honoring. She has been a benefactor of many people, including me. And the idea here is Paul is saying, the women who are serving in the kingdom are due great honor. She's a benefactor of many. She's been entrusted with delivering the book of Romans or the letter of Romans to the church at Rome. The reason why Paul wrote her name and put it in eternal scripture is because she deserves honor and commendation for the work that she's doing. And the exhortation to you and I today is that there are women around us who deserve to be commended and honored and named for the work that they're doing. I've told you over the past couple of weeks that I wouldn't be the Christian that I am and the pastor that I am without my wife Lisa's influence in my life. That's fantastic. But there's also a side in which she has been given assignments and has been doing things at Calvary Church. She's been in charge of our Women's Leadership Development Forum for 11 years now. She's uh, the head of our communications team for Grace Beyond. She's on our Grace Beyond Steering Committee. She's involved in leading our widow's ministry. She does missions work. She does hospital visits. That's all work that's part of the kingdom. And to be honest with you, she's here so I can't really lie. I wouldn't be able to do my job without her gifts of administration and discernment. It simply wouldn't happen. And the things that are happening at Calvary Church, and God be praised for them, while I often get credit for some of them, she deserves the credit for much of them because she has assignments from the Lord that she's been carrying out, just like I have assignments from the Lord, and I have to help her, and she has to help me. The same is true for Shelley Lamport, who is in charge of our children's ministry. Do you know what kind of spiritual weight it is to be responsible for the children's ministry in this place? And I'm so grateful that Shelly leads that ministry with an incredible sensitivity to God's spirit, that she's navigated us through going to Calvin and coming here. I think about Lee Content, who's in charge of our mercy and hospitality ministry. She's on our staff. 
She's doing what Phoebe did. She is a benefactor of many, helping people, receiving refugees, international students, orphans, widows, caring for them in that ministry. I think about Susan Sorensen, who's been given the responsibility for our women's ministry here. Any of you who've interacted with Susan will know that God has gifted her and given her assignment to use grace and encouragement and that she's leading these women in an amazing way. I think about Celeste McDonough, who's in charge at this church of all the things that we do where we're trying to minister to others, those outside our walls, evangelism, missions, as we raise up residents, as we think about planting churches, as we try to be merciful and hospitable and, and, and care for those among us. Her gifts of leadership and administration are an absolute blessing to this church. I think about Jackie Rice working in our communications department. You know, interesting thing about that situation is we asked Jackie a couple of months ago to put together a team of people to help her do the work of communications. You can never communicate enough. Initially, when she set out a list of volunteers to help her, because we're trying to be more of a volunteer uh, sort of led church, most of them were women from her circle of influence. As she prayed about it more, God kept bringing men to mind, either to her or to others, and she had her first meeting uh, a week or two ago, and it was mostly men who showed up. And it was very clear that God had given them the assignment of helping her do her assignment and be successful. That's what Paul's talking about in this passage. I think about Kristen White. Many of you in this church have been blessed because of her commitment to the Lord and her willingness to serve Calvary and to serve Jesus. I think about Pat Geikema, who's served in our children's ministry for so long, taught all my children, uh, taught all the children here. Uh, I think about Kathy Nibbling, who's been part of our worship ministry for so long, serving faithfully. I think about Emily Franklin, who in the testimony of our young adults pastor, we simply wouldn't be able to do all the things we do in young adult ministry without all the volunteer hours uh, that she's putting in and doing that. I think about Judy Warner and all the women. Our whole special needs ministry is run by women. That's not shocking. There are men that serve in that ministry, but those ladies exemplify the heart of Jesus, that shepherd's heart, that compassionate heart. Cindy Merrill. Arlene Timmer, we wouldn't have a prayer ministry at the church if it wasn't for these women and for others. Now you know where this is going. I'm going to obviously leave out thousands of women. This is simply neither the time nor the place to effectively run through each and every woman and what she's doing, but please, the reason why this is a sermon from the Lord is it needs to be done. And although there is not time, nor is this the setting to do that for each and every woman. The point of God is, as men, that's our job. We need to especially look around and find the Phoebes in our life and make sure they are being honored for what they're doing by name. And the assignment that I give to you today, where is the Phoebe in your life? Is it a, is it a wife? Is it a mother? Is it a sister? Is it an aunt? I'm grateful for my sister and the work that she does here at Calvary Church. Is it somebody that's volunteering that's teaching your children? Is it somebody that's been in your small group? Where are the Phoebes in your life? And can we do what the Lord is telling us to do? Welcome them. Help them. And honor them for the work that they're doing. There is an important interpretive issue here. The Spirit will lead us and guide us down that road as we have conversations about how that's supposed to work out and what that's supposed to look like. 
But please don't let the interpretive issue cloud the fact that Romans 16 was written also for the purpose of ensuring that God's daughters felt received, helped, and commended for the amazing work that they're doing. 